Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Practice Launch Podcast, where we help give you all the information you need when starting your own dental practice, whether that be a scratch startup or an acquisition. Uh, I'm your host, Shane Simmons. I'm the CEO and founder of Crimson Media Dental Marketing. And today we're going to be talking about something that never fails. Everybody always has a million questions about because you just don't know where to start. And that is insurance and and should you be in network? What's the credentialing process like? And hopefully we're going to be able to answer a lot of questions that I know many of you have today because I'm very honored to have Dana Moss, the owner of PPO Dental Consulting, on the podcast with us here today. And Dana, this is your world, right? This is insurance credentialing, negotiations. This is what your company does. Uh, first off, thanks for joining us. Uh, second off, what kind of led you down the path to start helping other dental practices with their insurance credentialing and negotiation process? Well, one day I was home. I was a stay-at-home mom. My brother had just graduated dental school. Kids were in school. I was watching Days of Our Lives eating bonbons on the couch. <laughs> he gave me a call and said, hey, I bought a practice. Can you come help me answer the phones? I said, sure. Can't be that difficult. Uh, toughest two weeks of my life. Um, learned everything I could. I didn't know teeth had numbers. He taught me from the ground up, lots of pictures and in network with every insurance under the sun. So the only thing I didn't know how to do was read an EOB. We were a single income, four kids, emergency room trips, stitches, broken arms. And I knew what it meant to be in network. And so that was really important. Um, part of how I started in this was that I knew how to read an EOB. Um, realized that I was very talented when it comes to insurance. And I loved, I loved the puzzle piece that it took and then learning the software and, and the business side of that. My brother really helped me out with that. So we bought and sold a couple of practices together. Um, and then he got married, had kids, wanted to sell everything except one practice. And then his friends said, Hey, how did you guys do this? And so he'd said, you know, you want to help my friends. And so I started helping his friends in 2008. Um, realized I loved it. I, I loved helping people figure out the insurance cobweb and how can we be more profitable and can we be in network and afford to do the dentistry that we want to do. Um, so I started helping friends realize that I was like, I really love doing this. So I started my company in 2011 and started helping people with um, the insurance side of their practice. Wow. And, you know, did you know that when you got into this, that insurance was such a huge topic and discussion point for dental practice owners? No idea. No, but no, no, no idea. But the further that the longer that I went and trying to strategize in my brother's practice, I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, it's math, right? So, I mean, just figuring out, can we afford to do the dentistry for these allowables that we were given by the insurance company? A lot of fun. Yeah. And, it, you know, that's same with us. You know, when I was a kid, you know, growing up, um, you know, it was always kind of one of those situations where you we had to go kind of to the, the provider that, you know, we w was in network with our insurance. It was just what I remembered, uh, you know, kind of growing up too. And I had no idea that the complexities of this and the fact that you could even, you know, renegotiate, you know, your fee schedules, like, I, you know, even as in the marketing side of it, as we kind of got our feet wet, Back in 2015, this was all new to us. Um, and so now, you know, we work with a lot of similar type of practices, I feel, is where, you know, we both, um, you know, have a lot of startup practices that come to us. And that's a lot of people who listen to this podcast. And, 
one of the most common questions when when I'm on a call with a startup I ask is, are you going to be a network with PPOs? You know, and if so, what does that look like? So my question to you, Dana, is over the years of doing this, you know, why would a startup practice take insurance or be a network? What is the the benefit to doing that? Uh, filling the chairs, first and foremost. Um, that's what it comes down to when you when you have a startup, and we'll talk about scratch startups right now. So a scratch startup, you you know you want bodies in the chair. So that's the main reason why um, dentists choose to go and participate um, with insurance plans. Existing plans, if you're buying an existing practice, again, maybe the owner doctor right now is in network with plans. So maybe you don't want to rock the boat too much. So you want to take over those contracts. Or maybe you want to strategize and put yourself in a better position than what the owner's in. So depending on what type of startup it is, it's it all comes down to open chair time. I totally agree. And that's the way I explain it too, is like it's it's basically, you know, the the way that your insurance, you know, maybe not getting your full, you know, fee or whatever the case is, it's marketing dollars at the mm-hmm. end of the day for the practice in a in a big way. So I I agree. And it's very hard, I have found. I've seen some do it. But it's very hard as a scratch startup, unless you are very well known in the community already or have roots in that community, it's hard to start a practice and be totally out of network. What what have you seen that side of things from the maybe success of practices taking off that are in network versus maybe those who you know were started out, out of network? So, I mean, again, open chair time. That's why people do it. They want to put bodies in the chair. So most of my, obviously when people reach out to us, it's because they want to pick, okay, which plans do I need to be in network with? Where do I need to go from here? So most of the time when people reach out, they know that insurance is, has to play a part in their practice. I do have startups that come to me after they've started up like six, 12 months in, they're like, I need to join some networks because this fee for service model right now for them isn't working. So they'll come to us and ask us, you know, hey, can we put a couple of insurances in place? So it really depends on um, what the dentist wants. What are their goals? Do they want to turn and burn or do they want to just be slow and, you know, slow and grow? So it just depends on what the dentist's goal is with their startup. Yeah. And I know and this is something we'll definitely hop into later on in this discussion. But, you know, there's certain plans that maybe are are bigger in your area that you may be in network with. And maybe there are others that you, you go out of network with because maybe they're not as popular of a plan. And so there's, I know some different options there. Um, but again, kind of reversing back to when, when you're starting a practice, you know, with, from the marketing side, we always say, you know, Hey, you really want to start the marketing process about eight months before the opening. And that's doing everything from you know, your branding, your website, starting to to document things on social media. When it comes to insurance, when should you start that process of deciding you know, whether or not you're going to be in network and, and starting, I guess, the process? Eight to six months before. So um, uh, a lot of, uh, and let's talk about the two, two differences. So startup practices starting from scratch um, at least six months before. It's an easier process than buying an existing practice, okay? And the reason is, is because startups, we can start credentialing right away and get some effective dates before the closing date. On existing practices, they want a bill of sale. Now, it's not all of them wanting a bill of sale, but most of them want a bill of sale. So we want to have everything ready to go 
so that we can submit everything um, after we have a bill of sale. So it, buying an existing practice, woo, maybe four months before, but if it's a scratch startup, um, eight, to, eight to six months before. Eight to six months before opening, that's when we need to start the insurance process. Got it. Now, uh, let's move a little bit into picking plans. So we touched on it a little bit earlier, you know, maybe like I know in our area where I live, you know, a lot of the, the big hospitals nearby and the universities, you know, or Delta is is their, um, you know, insurance that they offer their employees typically. Um, so how do you know as a practice owner what insurances you should be in network with versus ones maybe that you don't necessarily? What's what's the process there like when, when you're working with a practice? So we want to find the major employers in the area. I mean, that's that's the most important part. Like who who are the major employers? Better, Better Business Bureau is a great resource for that. Um, sometimes if the dentist already knows the area really well, I mean, they'll tell me, well, it's Delta, MetLife, and Stigma. Those are the big players in, in the area. Um, if they're buying existing practices, look at who the original doctor, the selling doctors who's in network um, with, and make sure to do your due diligence. So you're buying an existing practice, make sure you're you're looking at, okay, how many patients do they really have on these plants? So lots of strategies going into picking what networks to be in. So if I have a dentist who doesn't know the area and they're moving uh, moving to a different state, a startup, you know, we, we graduated at, you know, at Texas A&M and shout out there, sorry. Uh, and, or, and then they, and then they decide they're going to move to Missouri. Maybe they don't know the area. So we will help them uh, look up the major employers in their area, um, contact their human resources, find out who their plans are with, and then see how to, on purpose, choose the plans um, to go and network with. A lot of dentists panic and are like, I want to take everything under the sun, kind of like what my brother walked into. Um, everybody. And that's, you know, when you get to where you're having 28, 29 fee schedules, which we see every day, um, that can become an accounts receivable nightmare. So we need to be intentional when we're picking our networks. Employers and then the existing practices who already have networks in place would be where we would start. And then we would go from there. And once you've decided like, okay, these are the the plans that we're going to be a network with, um, what's the process like from there? Is it you kind of as a new practice owner, kind of have a set fee schedule you kind of have to do? Or what's that like at the very beginning for the new practice owner once they do decide that? Okay. So if Shade, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Okay. So when you're opening a practice, um, you need to fee balance your office fees. That needs to be your priority. Meaning I want you in at least the 80th percentile for your zip code. Now you can get this information from the ADA, dental supply reps. We like Wasserman. I mean, you can buy this data um, from numerous sources, but setting your office fees strategically is super important um, because that does help with negotiating um, your allowables when you first start off. So make sure that you're fee balancing, meaning you're setting your office fees um, as high as you're comfortable with. When you are a heavy PPO practice, the 80th percentile, the doctors are like, well, it doesn't matter what my fees are. Well, it absolutely does because when you're submitting your office fees to the insurance company, they want to see a massive write-off. And if they aren't seeing a massive write-off, your negotiation power goes way down. So make sure 
your office fees are placed um, at a at, at least the 80th percentile because that's what insurance companies sell to employers. So if you're an out of network dentist and you're noticing one of the the things are if you're noticing they're paying your fees, if you're submitting $125 for a profi and they're paying $125, fees are too low, dude. So let's figure out where to strategically place those fees to be able to not only set you up for success in the future, but also to capitalize on all of the um, insurances, whether in or out of network that you're in, to be able to capture those dollars. Um, making sure you're submitting your office fees when you set up your software. Please, please, please do your due diligence. Set, Make sure you're setting up the, when you're submitting the insurance claims that you're submitting your office fees. If you don't do that, you're never going to see an increase. So those two things, wow. fee balancing and in, uh, um, submitting your office fees are really super important when you're starting off. And with those, you know, the fee balancing, setting the office fees, um, what what's a good resource for for dentists on that? Is it is that something that that y'all help with, or is that do you have resources or certain places that you recommend some of these dentists to kind of look and and get that information? I know you'd mentioned a particular source. Yeah, so there's several. Okay, if the dentist dentist is a member of the ADA, they have their own, and I believe um, it's pretty cost effective. I don't like to quote prices, but it's pretty cost effective. Um, your dental supply rep sometimes has that available, the feed percentiles. We like Wasserman. Um, they gather all of the information from all the clearinghouses in your zip code. So Wasserman Dental, we like them. Um, Fair Consumer Health, that's a website they can go to and also purchase the data or do quick you know, um, code searches. So there's several options for dentists to be able to get that information. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't personally realize that was such an important part of that negotiation process. So that is really good to, information to know there from the very beginning. Make sure you're in that 80 per, 80th percentile uh, with your fees um, so that you have more leverage when you when you go to these these companies. So that, that was huge right there. Um, next piece I want to move into is, you know, you hear the term the uh, umbrellas, right? And I think there's oftentimes some confusion around that and who you're in network with. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, this strategy through utilizing umbrellas? You got it. So um, a lot of times when I ask a dentist, who do you want to be in network with or who is the practice that you're buying? Who are they in network with? There's a lot of confusion. So when I say in network, I also what the question is, is how many fee schedules do you want to be tied to? So not necessarily how many insurances, but how many fee schedules do you want to be tied to? So I'm going to do an analogy that I heard from a great friend of mine, Maritza Duran. She she does what we do. I love Maritza. Oh, she's fantastic. She's been on the podcast, actually. Oh, she's, she's <laughs> awesome. So she did yep. this analogy on Facebook um, the other day, and kudos to her because explaining it, what hasn't been done better. So she explains an umbrella as the United States of America. And then the states are underneath the United States of America. So if you look at an umbrella plan, let's say Connection Dental, Denimax, Premier Dental Group, Zealous, which by the way is a great one. So if, if they're the United States, all of the insurance plans are the states. So United Healthcare, uh, Aetna, Cigna, um, some United Concordia, MetLife, PDP Plus, we can get into all of this, but there's lots of different strategies to be able to encompass a bunch of insurance companies with one 
fee schedule. And most of the time, your umbrellas or your TPAs, those fee schedules are higher than a direct contract. So when you're starting out, you you may like those um, allowables and think, oh, I could I can do dentistry for that. Um, the cons to umbrellas, a lot of people don't get into those. We always look at the the pros. The cons to that is maybe you're not going to be at the top of the list on their website. You might be towards the bottom. And if you're in a heavily populated area with a dentist on every corner, kind of like where we are, um, that's a tough that's a tough game because you're down on page 17 and people don't go to page 17, you know, and that's where companies like yours that could help, you know, these dentists set themselves up with success too. A lot of people will Google MetLife Dentist in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, you guys can help dentists be able to capitalize on those on those things with with marketing on those, you know, the keywords or sorry, I'm I'm in your territory. I don't know exactly what I'm no, saying. No, you're 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 on the money right there. Yes. But um a lot of patients are doing that instead of directly going to um the website to look up uh, their providers. So um that is a strategy that I like to use. I like to use one to two two PAs and about three to four direct contracts when I'm starting up a startup. I like to limit it to that. The reason is is because it's a fee schedule. I don't want to be tied to 27 fee schedules. Six to eight, I'm pretty comfortable with at first. And then setting them up to success for success that maybe when they get or when they get to the point where they're booked out, they're squeezing chair time. Now the opposite's happening, right? Now I'm running out of chair time. Then to set them up for success, to be able to drop some of those direct plans, okay, with maybe a $100 level pro fee, but I can drop that plan, get $125 and still stay in network through an umbrella. So there's lots of different strategies when it comes to setting those dentists up for success. For that. Awesome. Okay. So this leads to my next question. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see practice owners make when maybe starting this process at the very beginning? What are some of those common, hey, you can avoid these things that I've noticed over the years and working with so many practices, you know, you're going to be better off. Um, making decisions, you know, like not not making a decision, being a little indecisive, trying overanalyzing, we call it analysis paralysis, right? Overanalyzing, work with a professional um, that, that, knows, that knows what they're doing to be able to help guide you through that. There are so many times, especially... Um, with doctors who are actually already have networks that don't know what networks they're in. If you're buying an existing practice and this office manager's in there saying, sign this, sign this, sign this, and we see that all the time, and they end up not knowing who they're in network with. So that is not not doing your due diligence. So um, sitting too long on a fee schedule that an insurance company's given you, um, you know, once you get a fee schedule from the insurance company, please respond to them quickly. They love that. They're, you know, and they're they're more willing to work with you if you just let them know, hey, you know what? I've got this fee schedule, still trying to figure it out. I'll let you know. So not communicating with the insurance companies is a big, huge red flag for those insurance companies. They keep track of us. They've got more I, you know, AI out there than we can imagine. So, you know, not not responding to the insurance in a timely manner, whether you're doing it yourself or you're working um with a professional to help you through that. Uh don't go on network with everybody out of the sun. Um, pick the right plans. Ain't that the truth? I've seen that. I've, I've talked to 
you know, practices who've done that before. And they're like, well, you know, starting out, you know, we didn't, you know, really do any marketing, but we just, you know, took every, you know, network, like you said, under the sun, we went and network with Medicaid, you know, they just did it, did it all. And then realized really quickly that the practice may have got out of hand as far as like you said, the collectible, I mean, just, and then you have a whole, a whole mess in your hands. So yeah, by being proactive in these things that Dana's talking about, like this is going to save you a lot of headaches in the future for sure. I want to talk a little bit about just for some of those listening who maybe already have a practice, um, negotiations. This is, uh, you know, every day I log on to Facebook, I see somebody talking about, you know, hey, I need to renegotiate or do I need to renegotiate? Um, and there was something that you would you talk about that I think is is key for people when it comes to negotiating. And you talk about the five emotional rules to follow when negotiating. Could, could you explain what you mean by that, Dana? And what are those five rules? You bet. So a lot of people that I talk to um, say we fight insurance companies, right? I mean, we're going to fight the insurance company, get the best allowables. Let me tell you what, guys, we don't fight insurance companies. They win. So we don't they want way more money. <laughs> <laughs> they, we don't want to be that heavy handed um, person when it comes to negotiation. So the five emotional worlds are pretty simple. The first one is be nice. The, you know, the other person on the other end of that phone is doing their job just like you are. So be be nice. Be nice to the insurance company. Don't threaten to leave that network unless you plan on leaving that network. Um, that's not a strategy I recommend. I'll hear a lot of people go, well, we threatened to leave this network and they gave us a higher fee schedule. Well, good for you. But if you threaten to leave, a lot of insurance companies are going to say bye-bye. They don't, you know, no skin off their nose losing one dentist. So don't threaten to leave a network unless you're going to leave that network. Number two, they're always right. The insurance company is always right. Um, different times of the year, insurance companies open the door to negotiations. That rep that you're speaking to knows if they can negotiate or not negotiate during those 90 days that you're asking. So they're always right. It's not like you can try to strong arm yourself into trying to plead your case to get more. So they're always right. You just want you want to to see you know show them what you want. Have a spreadsheet ready to go with your top 25 codes. If they say we're not negotiating right now, totally understand that. When can I negotiate? When will I be eligible for a fee schedule review? And just, you know, thank you so much for all this information. Um, and it's just really important uh, to be nice. Humility goes a long way. So rule number three, be humble. We don't know more than they do. Then sometimes they, you know, I'd love to still do this to this day when I'm negotiating, especially for my brother. I know I keep coming back, but he's wonderful. I go to his practice and I negotiate his contract still to this day. And I'll still ask reps, hey, can you tell me what I need to do here? They love that. They're there to help you. And most of the time, these reps, are, are they, they want to encourage you to negotiate. They want to help you and get you higher allowables. Um, but if you go out with, if you go in guns blazing, I mean, who wants to help somebody like that? So um, be, be nice. They're always right. Be humble. Um, and then build a relationship with them. So we have built relationships with thousands of reps across the country. We have reps that let us know certain things. We have a rep in um, Dallas-Fort Worth area that doesn't like to drive on ice. So we take very, very good notes when it, when it snows or, well, snows. When it rains and we have ice, we'll reach out to her. Hey, don't try today. Day looks rough. Build relationships with those reps. Super important. Um, I had a practice reach out to us two weeks ago. And they wanted to hire us to do credentialing for their new associates coming in. But this person had already built so many wonderful 
relationships with these reps. I said, you don't need us. You already have this down. You know, just keep doing what you're doing and build those relationships with those reps. Super important. And use their name a lot. I mean, that sounds familiar, right? What we do with patients that come in the practice. Use use their name a lot. So those are the five rules. Man, and you know, so many things, and I don't know if you've read this before, but I was thinking in my head is, have you ever read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie? Okay, I'm thinking like as you're talking this, I'm like a lot of those are like principles that Dale Carnegie goes back to. And and for any of you listening to this, like I highly, highly suggest reading that book. That's one of like the three books in my life that's just been most impactful. But you're absolutely right. It's like you and you go in, whether it's, you know, you're going into uh, talk about an issue that you had with your car after you, you know, had a repair recently done. Anytime you go in and you're, you're kind of being a jerk about it, it's like, you're not going to get as far. Um, I always love the saying, you know, you catch more flies with honey. That's kind of, you know, very a similar uh, thing as you go in, you're nice to people, polite, building relationships. You're more likely to get helped out. I mean, think about the patients in your practice. Like, are you going to want to do everything you possibly can for that patient who's being an absolute jerk to you or the sweet patient who's nice, who's, you know, saying, you know, how can we fix this? You know, you're going to want to do more for, for that person. So, I think that is invaluable advice right there when negotiating because I think a lot of people just start off on the wrong foot. Wow, that was great. Um, okay, so we're, we're starting to run low on time here. So I, I do want to talk uh, one, a couple more talking points on the negotiation side because I know people are going to really want to hear about this. Um, first thing I was going to ask is you know, how long, like when you do start the negotiation process, how long can someone typically expect for that process to to last when doing a negotiation? Um, three to nine months. And it, it depends on the insurance company and how quickly they get back to us. Some insurance companies are taking longer right now due to um, not having enough people to do this. And we're, we're running into that um, ever since COVID. I know I'm so tired of the C word, but um, every, every since that people are having a hard time um, staffing, uh, their teams, just like, I mean, pretty rampant around the United States with dentists. We're all seeing it on Facebook, right? I need to hire. I need to hire. So um, it, it's taking a little bit longer. So three to six, three to nine months. Okay. Awesome. And then last thing here is, you know, we're really big on, you know, if somebody can help you get from where you're at to where you want to go, you know, utilize resources, you know, utilize those, those cheat codes, if you will, those, those shortcuts. Don't try to do it all yourself because at the end of the day we only have so much bandwidth right like we can only do so much and especially for those who are running a practice or starting a practice you have a lot of different things that you're doing and so sure could you do this yourself or have somebody on your team you know do this yeah probably but is that really what their sole focus is so that's why i brought dana on from you know ppo dental consulting because they are some of the best at what they do in this. And so I would love to ask, you know, kind of Dana, what are some of the ways that if somebody's listening to this, um, what's kind of those next steps that they want to learn more about what you all do, um, see whether or not you may be able to work with their practice? Uh, what's kind of the next step that somebody listening should take? Well, the easiest one would be to go to our website, ppodentalconsulting.com. Um, learn about the services that we have to offer. Uh, go to the negotiation tab and, and look through all the services that we have. We offer different levels of services. So people who want to do it themselves, we have a step-by-step -step guide for that. I mean, 
And that's a much, that's a affordable way to be able to do it. Um, and we have the full service, we can do it for you. So there's all kinds of options, um, depending on the, the dentist goals and budgets to be able to um, get that done for them. Yeah. And they, and they do have some great um, different resources and things that are, you know, on their website and, and you can see some of the different uh, people you know, that they've worked with and, and talked with. So I definitely, you know, recommend going to ppodentalconsulting.com. We'll have that in the show notes below so you can uh, check them out. And kind of just as a final little thing we like to do here, Dana, is for any, specifically our startups, since this is the Dental Practice Launch podcast, um, if you could give three pieces of advice to somebody who is looking to start their own dental practice, what would those three pieces of advice be? Okay. So the first one is fee balance your office fees. Make sure you're as close to the 80th percentile for your office fees that you feel comfortable with. I didn't mention um, before, but if you feel like, oh my gosh, that 80th percentile is super high, what about my cash paying patients? Um, Shane, I'm sure you've talked to people who do loyalty plans, membership plans in place. So put one of those in place to help offset that, to help calm your tummy when you see those fees that I'm going to ask you to charge. So um, put something like that in place to help offset that. So number one, fee balancing. Um, number two, make sure you're submitting your office fees to the insurance company. Those two things stop us from negotiating for practices because I want you to up your fees and I want the insurance companies to see your fees for at least six months. So those are two. Now, number three, I'm going to chase a little squirrel because we didn't talk about this and that's my fault. Um, but know what it costs per procedure. So a lot of dentists go into this and, and they're just looking at, oh, the crown's only $850. I don't want an $850 crown. Well, what does a crown cost you to do? So a lot of dentists skip that step. Please don't do that. What does it cost you to do a one surface filling? What does it cost you to do a crown? Down to rent, electric, and the two by two that you use or the cotton roll that you use, assist at time, chair turnover, everything. Build a spreadsheet on how much does it cost you to do that procedure. Hygiene procedures included, scaling and root planing, perio maintenances, profies, x-rays, everything. Know how much that procedure costs you and can you do that procedure for X amount of dollars? That's a really, um, I missed that when we were talking, Shane, super important step that dentists miss is that they always look at a few codes and they're like, well, I can't do it for that. Well, can you? I mean, a lot of dentists don't even know what it costs them. What does it cost you to do that? So to figure out your, you know, your profit margin per procedure is something that's super important to do also. That's that's massive. And that's, again, something they just don't teach in, in dental school. We, we were, a few of my team members and I were at a, a conference and the guy was talking. He said he used to work uh, at Chuck E. Cheese back in the day. And he said Chuck E. Cheese was so good at knowing exact cost of what it costs to make every single thing on that menu. Large pizza, extra large pizza, down to the number of pepperonis like on the guide. <laughs> They do. You put this many pepperonis on the pizza, this many pieces of sausage, whatever the case was, because they knew exactly how much every single pepperoni costs. They knew exactly what their profit margin was on that pizza. And it's the same thing in your dental practice. You need to know down to the, the chair time, your hourly, your hygienist hourly assistant, whatever the case is, exactly how much you uh, it costs you to provide that that service. So that's a massive one. I'm glad that you you touched on that here at the end. Um and we, we could talk about this for, I'm sure, several more hours, but we got a limited time here. So 
Dana, thank you so much for for hopping on here. Um, and again, reach out to Dana and her team, PPO uh, Dental Consulting dot com, uh, and, and check them out and see if they may be able to, to help you um, in your practice. And uh, thanks again for for being on the podcast. Well, Shane, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you.